0: beginning question I want to ask is one that you've potentially asked yourself all week. It's simply this. Who am I? Who am I? Think about it. Every child, every adolescent, every elderly citizen, everyone on the planet Earth wrestles with this question, who am I? It's one of the most foundational issues that you'll deal with in all your life, and it is a question that you will not answer this evening? And the reason people keep coming back to this question is because they've tried to answer it, and many times, for many people, their answer fails them. When it fails them, it can lead to some pretty devastating consequences when it comes to identity and how we function in the world. It's a question that comes from within, and we attempt to answer from without. It's a question that can drastically shift our focus. It's a question that can leave us more harmed than whole. It's one of life's most important questions. If you didn't get a chance to examine it this week, I would find a journal, go back to the devotional, repeat the exercises. You can do this. You can honestly do these several times to sharpen your definition. It'll give you more insight. I hope we sharpen each other over the next few months as well as we do this. There are two ways we think this question can be answered. There are two ways. Okay, The answer is, this is your first fill in the blank, the answer is either placed on us by the world, or we choose the answer out of the world. The answer is either placed on us by the world, or we choose the answer out of the world. On the first one, the answer is placed on us by the world. The answer is placed on us by the world. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? A boy comes home to his mother crying, right? It's not the first time it's happened, and the boy asks his mom, what's wrong? And she says, your father has left, and he's not coming back. And while this might be a shock for the child, what comes as a greater shock is the questions he asks himself as he goes to bed later that night. He thinks to himself, am I not even worth staying around for? And when when friends abandon him for another game at recess, or mom forgets another important event later in life, or when essentially life happens, right? Right? it will reinforce this idea in his own mind. And the I'm not even worth staying around for turns into an accusatory, you're not worth staying around for, and it turns into an identity of I'm not worth anything. A middle school girl waits for her boyfriend or boyfriend They haven't actually gone on any dates, right? But they talk all the time. They walk to classes together. Except this Valentine's Day, she doesn't receive a valentine. When she asks her friend where Daniel was today, her friend tells her that he wasn't around. And when she presses her friend to why he didn't spend time with her, she tells her, he thinks you've gotten heavier. Now, this is a true story, by the way. Oh, my. Now, she can't look in the mirror without the words, I've gotten heavier, ringing in her ear. Right? And it soon turns into an accusatory, you're heavy, and it turns into an identity of, I'm fat, even after the anorexia. Right? Notice how in both these instances, it is the actions of others that have determined how we answer the question of who am I. That's what I mean when I say the answer is either placed on us by the world, or we try to take it, take our answer from the world. It's a side note, but it ties in, right? There's an awesome piece of guitar equipment, I don't know what it's called. But essentially what you can do with it, I actually got an app for it. We're going we're gonna to play with it, okay? And it's called a looper, right? So you tap the equipment, you play a little, you know, some little jingle, right? As a bass line, and then you hit the loop, and it plays over, and suddenly you can add a layer to the music. Now, now now you're like really rocking life. You're like a two-piece band with just one of you, and maybe a three-piece or a four-piece, depending on how many loops you can get in your recording. Um, and that functions much like our hearts. And that is when identities are placed on us, or we take something from the world, they loop in our heads over and over either encouraging us or just sinking us, right? So what we do to those accusatory questions in the first thing is we try to answer it with the second part. What we do with the answer that is either placed upon us by the world is we choose the answer out of the world. That's how we kind of overcome the identities that are placed on us. Right? And I know I use some really extreme situations. Those are real-life situations that I've talked through with people. And you might have some smaller ones, maybe big ones like that, but they have a great impact on you, right? And then we try to choose to cover those up with new things. Um, if you remember from the devotional we, this week, I talked about how we're a copycat people. And I think you have to look no further than culture to realize how much of a copycat culture we are. If you like, if you look at the hip hop scene, you'll notice something. They all look alike in the hip hop scene. Right? They're all trying to be unique by looking like everyone else. Right? Well, how do you know if someone's in the hip hop scene? Well, do they wear sunglasses indoors and how big is their gold chain? Right? Like, then you know they're in the hip hop scene. It's the same thing with country music. Let's make fun of those people too. Okay? Like, how do I know I'm in the country music scene? Right? Well, how much denim and plaid do you own? Right? Like, then I know I I fit in with that group. How do I know if I'm in the cool evangelical Christian scene? Right? Do you sport a Euro haircut and dress in hiking clothes and never go hiking? (laughs) Right? We are copycats. That's your next fill in the blank. We are copycats. And we try to fit in with the group that will help us say good things about ourselves or will help us hide from the bad things that people have said to us that we now in turn say to ourselves. We add more layers to our guitar loop to try to dry down the notes that we don't like And remember, the devotional said this week that the copycat thing isn't a bad thing. But if you want to be in the hip-hop, wear gold chains. If you want to be country, grab a cowboy hat. If you want to be a hipster evangelical Christian, buy Patagonia gear, right? (laughs) But it becomes a problem if you take the gold chain away, cowboy hat away, the Patagonia away, and if people wouldn't recognize you for you any further. Like, that's when that becomes a problem. When you feel like you no longer fit in. Well, there's a guy that definitely didn't feel like he fit in. Turn with me to Exodus 2. You've heard this story before, but let's take a fresh look at it with new eyes. It's the birth of Moses. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. That's pretty good. Levi, I mean a Levite. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him in a basket, made of bulrushes and "'Dobbed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. "'She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. "'And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. "'Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river "'while her young woman walked beside the river. "'She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. "'And when she opened it, she saw the child. "'And behold, the baby was crying. "'Of course, it's in a basket floating on a river. "'And she took pity on it and said, "'This is one of the Hebrew children.' Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go! So the girl went and called the child's mother. And a wonderful twist of irony. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give him, you your wages. So you're essentially... You're going to raise your own child, and I'm going to pay you. So the woman took the child, nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. Now Moses, this is where he flees to Midian. One day, this is much later, when Moses had grown old, grown up, not old, grown up, he went out to his people. Notice who his people are, his people. He's been raised by the Egyptians, but he sees his people the hebrews and he looked on their burdens and he saw an egyptian beating a hebrew one of his own people there it is his identity again is in his people and he looked this way and that and seeing no one he struck down the egyptian and hit him in the sand right it's a desert it's a good place to hide people and he went out the next day behold two hebrews were struggling together and he said to the man in the wrong why do you strike your companion and he answered Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. He'd been caught. And thought, surely this thing is known. Well, yeah, Moses. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled. From Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. It's a lot. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Now, the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. Woo! Good job, Mo. And watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian. Notice how they define him. Mm. Delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses' daughter Zipporah. And Moses was like, I thought you were just going to give me bread. But sure, I'll take her too. And she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner. Notice how he defines himself there. A sojourner in a foreign land. Okay, so think about it. Talk about a crazy opening life story, right? Like, I don't think any of us taught Moses, okay? Um, And you've probably heard this story a hundred times, but if you've ever thought about it from the perspective of Moses, can you even imagine the loop that goes on in his mind, right? His name literally means pulled out of the water. So he knows where he comes from and where he doesn't Come from, so this probably played in his a lot, right? This idea of you're not one of us. This idea of you're not one of us. This idea of you're not his people. Hebrews probably viewed him as a sellout. Right? You're not one of us. someone who spent their life with the Egyptians and not with his people right this idea you're not one of us this sell out sell out sell out this idea. you're not one of us and then the event happened that would change his life he tried to murder somebody right this idea sell out So the whole time in his life he's now thinking I'm a murderer you're not one of us murderer murderer you're not one of us So all these things are just looping in the background of his mind as he tries to figure out and answer the question for himself of who am I right? And this is just the human condition. We all live with this. And so what does he do? He meets these ladies by the well, wants to play hero, and he likes that loop better than the rest of them. That's nice. I'll be the hero today. Maybe they'll call me that instead of a murderer. So he tries to drown it out by what he does. And for his reward, he receives a wife and a child. But even his child would reflect what was happening in his heart because he still felt like a sojourner. He didn't belong there. And if you think about it, he never felt like he belonged there. Ever. And I think that's really what sums up how we've placed our identity, right? At the end of the day, there lies within us an overwhelming suspicion that we don't belong here. And that there's something more. And that's the next fill in the blank. At the end of the day, there lies within us an overwhelming suspicion that we don't belong here. And that there's something more. Let's continue Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness in came to horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame and fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. It's the desert. It's hot. He's probably seen burning bushes before. Yet... It was not consumed. Well, that's new, right? And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. And he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, Moses, no, no, sorry, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Think of is asking that question, right? Before God, who am I? Who am I? Who am I, Lord, right? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign of you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Go and gather the elders in Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise, notice again, what has been done to you in Egypt, how they're defining themselves. I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our Lord. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by my mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do it in. After that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Look, there's a lot of points we can pull from here. And we're going to pull a lot of points. Hence why you got a larger yakshi today. Okay, first, God does the calling. God does the calling. And before he tells you about you, he tells you about him. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Next point, God has a task for Moses that will define him for generations. God has a task for Moses that will define him for generations. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is how the people of Israel identify Moses as the rescuer. Next, we doubt the voice of God because we have other voices that are speaking more loudly to us. We doubt the voice of God because we have other voices speaking more loudly to us. Think about what Moses said. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, Lord? I'm a murderer. I'm a sojourner. I'm a sellout. All these things flood his mind. He has no confidence in who the Lord is because he's defined himself by what everyone else has said. Feels like me on most days. God, I'm not really a Hebrew. They think I'm an Egyptian who lords over and judges them. And I'm not really Egyptian because I've been drawn out of the water. I'm not even in, the land, in this land because I'm a sojourner. I'm a murderer who's a coward who ran away. Surely you can't be talking about me. Surely you are wrong, God. Next. God not only gives us a task, but he gives us a helper. Himself. He, God, said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He's given us himself. And lastly, God again reminds Moses who he is. We begin and end with God. Notice that. God tells us who he is. He tells Moses who he is and what he would have him do. And then he reminds him who he is. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am a sent Me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So I want you to understand this a little bit better. Now, I am who I am can be translated as this too. It can also be translated as I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. Notice the different ways you can translate that verb. And really, it is understood in all three ways, right? Because it gives you a fuller picture of who God is. The word Lord in verse 15 is translated as the word Yahweh, which here is connected to the verb Hayah, which is just to be. Yeah, I literally, Hayah. You'll remember it from now on. Hayah, which is to be. I am is to be, right? He is the be. In English, it might be best understood as I am the God who is. I am the God who is. That's why we link it with Revelation 1:8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. That's why we link it there. Now we see. Now, now we pass over the names of Moses' ancestors quickly, because we use, we're used to them, right? We're used to hearing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the reason God includes them. Is how and how we understand them is so important, okay? So, again, this is his title of himself, the Lord. I be, I am, I eternal. I'm a verb, I'm an action. Next, the God of your fathers. The reason he says that is because our relationship with him is to be understood in our covenantal relationship with our Father. This is why we talked about the covenant being a broad brushstroke of understanding the word clearly. Back in the fall, like covenant is to the Bible as the force is to Star Wars. Like you need to understand it if you're going to be able to read scripture clearly and understand life. Next, the God of Abraham. The reason he brings up this name is because it's important. First, God named him too. Remember, Abraham's original name was Abram. So God placed an identity on Abraham. And not only did he place an identity on Abraham, he had placed an identity on Abraham's people. They would be his people who I've named, who I've set aside. It immediately links the covenant promises that God made with Abraham to Moses. That's why he's reminding him. The God of Isaac. Think about this. The same man who Abraham took on a mountain, to the top of a mountain, to be sacrificed. Why is that brought up, right? It's to remind us, of the promised sacrifice that God made for us all the way back in Genesis 3. These names are just pulled out of a hat. There's a couple more like they don't mention Joe, right? Joseph, sorry. We're on short name basis. The God of Jacob. Jacob is Moses's link to Egypt, right? Jacob died here and his bones were carried to Canaan. You, Moses, will follow his journey and be on your way out of this place. I have not forgotten my covenant with Jacob. He's the bookend. Jacob, his family came to Egypt and died there. Moses, you and your family, I'm getting you out. Be reminded, I made a promise to him too. God promises, this is your next fill in the blank, God promises to bless them. God promises to bless them. The Israelites will plunder the Egyptians. Their hardness of heart will lead to the gain of Israel. They are my people, and I am a jealous God. But when our identity has been placed in the world for so long, we come up with a long list of excuses to not believe God. And if you're about to see it, Moses does this boldly in chapter 4. So we're going to read a little bit more in chapter 4. I told you we spent a lot of time in Scripture tonight. Then Moses answered. This is chapter 4. But behold... They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Moses said, A staff. And and God said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, right? then, the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, it's like those names are important, right, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. You don't want to touch that, right? Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first signs, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am of low speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? I just laugh at this, right? Like, the number of excuses I make before the Lord, right? And he's going, to, I can't speak, Lord. I made mouths. I'm telling you to be my mouth. Well, I can't speak. I made it. What are you What are you doing? Right? I mean, yeah. I would have done the same thing, I'm sure. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes man mute, deaf, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, you will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and his mouth and will teach you both what to do. I love how the Lord acquiesces, right? (laughs) Fine. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. You shall be as God to him and take in your hand the staff with which you will do signs. A couple other things you can pull from here. God does not send Moses into Egypt alone. He has given his brother. God does not send Moses into Egypt alone. He's given his brother. God does not send Moses into Egypt alone, which is your next fellow blank. He has given God's power. Now, how on earth does this relate to our identity? How does this relate to us, H.A.? I am not a Hebrew or an Egyptian, maybe a sojourner if I don't feel like I'm from Texas. The next fill-in-the-blank is this. If you want the loop of your identity machine to be silenced, be still before God. Be still before God. We can learn that from Moses at minimum. And the next fill in the blank is this. If you want to answer the question, who am I, you must, by, you must start by knowing I am. Knowing this reminds you that you are a creature. And while you are a cop, will copycat and try to place different aspects of others on yourself, it must be grounded in something. And if it's not, you'll end up empty. And it will give you a filter to copycat through. If you know I am as the God of truth, then imitating a liar is out of a question. If you know I am as the God of holiness, then imitating a whore is out of the question. And if you know God is a Trinitarian God in community, then you know that imitating a hermit is out of the question. To begin to know who you are must be grounded in I am. If it is not, you will be empty. You will be left empty. Next fill in the blank. God has given you a task. You'll find this in your Bible. The Romans 12 section we spent time in this week is a good start, but you will always find more ways to work through your sanctification as you study the text of Scripture. Romans 12 is not exhaustive, but Scripture is. Hallelujah. Next one on the blank God has given you a task, not to save you, but because you already are. It's this idea of being a rescued rescuer again, right? He has given you a task. <coughs> But you going out and rescuing people will not make you more holy. God has already made you as holy as you're going to be. Well, as justified before him as you're going to be. Your sanctification will work out your holiness. But you get to enjoy that. So while you're on this rescue mission, you get to live in the fact that you know that you are worthy before an almighty God. That's awesome. You get to go to bed at night, look in the mirror, and realize that you're worthy, right? The Spirit of Christ, Christ now dwells within you, and you get to share that with the world. Lastly, God has given you a helper himself. John fourteen fifteen through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you The Spirit of God, if you are a Christian, literally dwells within you. We take that for granted so easily. You have such power within you. Lastly, God has given you a helper, each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. I know it's long, but stay with me. It's one of my favorite sections of Scripture. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. We're all united in Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Do you see how the identity is even being played out within the inanimate, like, pieces of our anatomy right well i'm not a eye. i'm not a foot i clearly don't have any value or worth right if the whole body were an eye what would a sense be for hearing if the whole body were an ear what sense would be its smell but as it is god arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose if all were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you "'Nor again to the head of the feet, I have no need of you. "'On the contrary, the parts of the body "'that seem to be weaker are indispensable. "'That gives me much hope. "'And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, "'we bestow the greater honor. "'And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, "'which our more presentable parts do not require. "'But God has so composed the body, "'giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, "'that there may be no division in the body.' and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If you ground yourself in these truths of I am, as given to you in the promises of God, you will have peace in the midst of suffering, fellowship in the midst of betrayal, union when you feel alone. Will you drown out the identity the world tries to place on you and you try to pull from the world and ground that loop on the foundation that satisfies and glorifies both God and yourself? 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal, royal priesthood, a holy, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. An end to his marvelous light.